Hello, hello, Dizcasters. How's everyone doing? I hope you're all having a wonderful week. All right, so this week is going to be fun. Uh, this week we are all about Tron Legacy, which is, of course, the sequel to the 1982 hit cult classic Tron. Um, my initial uh, thing about this movie is it's a great movie. Like, legitimately, it's awesome. I think it succeeds in doing the thing that most sequels fail at in that it's kind of better than the original in some ways. Uh, in, like, a few ways, and I'll, and I'll get to those later. But first, of course, to start off things, uh, Disney, um, some headlines. Uh, this first headline is uh, from Tokyo Disney Sea. Uh, Toy Story Mania has been added to the Disney Premier Access paid line skip service starting June 10th. Now, if you're not aware of what that is, that's effectively like an upcharge to the fast pass. So there's like, there's the regular standby line, and you can just go ahead and stand in. There's the single rider line for some rides in which, you know, if you're a single rider, you just go in those lines. Those are, of course, the free lines, right? Those are the lines that you just stand by in whatever. Then for some rides, there's fast pass. Now, of course, with G- with Disney Genie Plus, uh, like all the fast passes are at an extra charge which is bullshit, but that's a whole other thing. And then on top of that, there's like a premier uh, paid line skip thing, which is a whole separate line in and of itself for some rides. Um, Some rides in uh, Disneyland and Disney World have them already. Like I I think in Disney World, in Magic Kingdom, I think the uh, Mickey Minnie uh, Runaway Railway is one of them in which you pay extra extra in order to just skip the standby line. Now, the ironic thing is that after they implemented that, those lines ended up becoming super long. And so it just, it didn't do anything. It didn't solve the problem. It just kind of shifted the problem. But anyway, so Toy Story Mania in Disney at uh, Tokyo Disney Sea is going to be joining, <clears throat> is going to be joining the list of Disney Premier Access rides. Uh, it is for 2,000 yen, which is uh, about $15.05, uh, I believe, USD, per guest, regardless of day or age, to skip the line. Now, in general, I think this is dumb. I am personally not a fan of this concept. Um, but I, then again, I'm not a fan of the concept of charging people more to ride the rides that they've already effectively paid to ride in the first place. Do you know what I mean? Like, anyway, I, I, it's it's dumb all around, and I don't think it should be a thing. And yet, here we are. <laughs> so this next headline uh, is actually, is has been going around for a bit. It revolves around uh, a couple that uh, got engaged at the Magic Kingdom. And basically, this couple, all clad in white, went and stood in front of Cinderella's castle. And basically, the boyfriend knelt in front of his girlfriend. It's a beautiful moment. And then a cast member comes up and basically stops the whole thing. He basically comes up, takes the ring out of the hand, out of his, uh, out of the hands, and stops the proposal. Now. Here's the thing. So it's a very short thing. And what we see is this cast member come up, take the ring, and then he basically uh, moves them. So like the the guy appears confused. The, the boyfriend comes up and is like, she said yes. And everyone's kind of booing at the employee, understandably so. And then the employee says, uh, yes, yes, that's right. But over here is going to be even better. Uh, so here's my thing about this whole thing is that do I think this thing is kind of being blown a bit out of proportion? Maybe. I don't think it's as bad as people are claiming it to be. I just think the cast member fucked up um, because it's clear with his response that he wanted to move them to a better spot. But I just think he went around doing it the wrong way in that he 
grab the ring out of this guy's hand and just stop the whole proposal. I mean, I would not have done it that way. Honestly, I wouldn't have done it at all. I would have just left them alone. But, you know, some people do what they want to do, and it's not always the right choice. Any hoozles. So that's basically what happened. Basically, this cast member comes up, stops his proposal, and now everybody's kind of, you know, shitting on this cast member. Uh. The Disney company did release a statement um, basically saying, we regret how this is handled, uh, and we have apologized to the couple involved and offered to make it right. Now, how they're going to make it right, I have no idea. So it's very up in the air. We're not sure. Maybe they'll give them free passes or something. I don't know. Maybe they'll give them another opportunity to do the proposal, but it's kind of, you know, it's damage is done basically right so i don't know i mean let me know what you think uh reach out via twitter at cast underscore diz uh i look forward to hearing from y'all to kind of see what your perspective is again personally i think the cast member just fucked up and did it the wrong way around uh i understand his intention but again just not the right way to do it now next headline uh, is that the Disney minivans are returning to service on June 29th at Walt Disney World. So the minivans were a service that was run by Lyft that was ended in 2020 due to COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, it seems that they are coming back. Uh, test rides are beginning this week. Uh, however, the minivans will not go to the airport. They will only travel around Walt Disney Resort. So this is basically an option if you want to... Go if you want to do a park hop, you you use the Lyft app and you book a mini van. Uh, now, when I say mini van, I don't mean M I N I V A N. I mean like the literal name mini M I N N I E van. So, yeah, like I the pun was there. Like obviously, why not use it? Anyway, so yeah, so uh, this rideshare option is going to be uh, available coming the end of the month. So I'm sure. That'll be nice for people within the parks uh, as an option if they're trying to get somewhere, maybe to and from their own hotels, that kind of thing. So that's good. Um, do I think what do I think about it? Uh, I think it's good. I think it's a good option. And hopefully they'll extend it to the airport as an option there, because, of course, it makes sense. You know what I mean? Any hoozles. So, here we are to our main attraction, Tron Legacy. So, as I mentioned, Tron Legacy is, of course, a sequel to the 1982 Tron film. Uh, and it basically took everything that was... It, it, it took the, the bare bones of what the, Tron, the original Tron movie was and then took everything and just kicked it out of the park. The proverbial park. It kicked it off the grid, as it, as as it is known now. <laughs> um, yeah, just this movie is great. It is very good. It is beautiful. Visual, like the whole aesthetic and the visuals and everything are absolutely stunning. The music and soundtrack is incredible. Uh, due to the fact that they hired Daft Punk, who was like at their peak at the end of the twenty at the end of the twenty tens, and so like they hired them to do the soundtrack, and it all super works super well. Here is my one issue, one big issue with this movie, and that is the fact that they tried to de-age Jeff Bridges. So, in watching this film. You will see that at the beginning of the film, uh, we have a flashback to like 1989, I think it says, and with Jeff Bridges talking to his son, Sam Flynn, who is the protagonist of this film. Um, and at that point, he is already de-aged. Like they've de-aged him because he's meant to look like how he looks like in the, in the late 1980s. And then once they get into the grid, into the actual digital world the character of Clue that we had reference to in the original movie at like the beginning of the movie, uh, which is supposed to be 
Kevin Flynn's main like hacking program. Uh, he was in the original in like the very beginning, but unfortunately dies and gets derezzed. Uh, but in this one, he be, he is the ultimate antagonist in this film, and he because uh, Kevin recreated Clue to aid him and Tron uh, to rebuild the grid and create a new world. That was their that was their whole uh, thing. The whole the whole desire for this was Kevin Flynn basically took the programming of Encom and basically rebuilt it from scratch. The idea is that he used the digitizing technology that was featured in the first one, goes into the grid, pulls Tron from the original programming, uh, and brings him into this new one that he's building from scratch, creates Clue because he wants to create the perfect world. He wants to create the perfect grid. And so it's Kevin Flynn, Clue, and Tron. They're working uh, to rebuild they want to do whatever they can to benefit humanity in the outside world kind of thing so with this uh kevin effectively becomes god in a way i mean like there's no other there's no other way to put it he becomes god and he becomes he's kind of revered as such throughout the film like you know and and this is a sort of concept that was brought in from the original in that like there are the users I feel like the original kind of took that sort of ideology as a more from a, uh, I suppose, a more paganistic viewpoint in the fact that, uh, or no, probably more of like a, a polytheistic concept because you had multiple programs who had multiple users uh, rather than in this one in Tron Legacy where you have multiple programs, but they all have the one user who is kevin flynn right so this so this new one kind of leans more into the monotheistic uh, ideology whereas the original leaned more into the polytheistic ideology so that's just a very interesting concept of this film now uh what ended up happening is during this whole process things just kind of fell so perfectly in line that these new programs self-manifested and just began to arrive at the grid, right? The grid is the name of this program world that Kevin has created, presumably to work with Encom in order to benefit the world kind of thing, right? Uh, and so these ISO, the, these new programs who are known as ISOs, uh, kind of just show up out of nowhere. And the idea is that they are meant to be so perfectly crafted algorithmically that they can basically do whatever they want. They are known as, uh, um, they are, uh, known as isomorphic algorithms, uh, is what they are known as. And they have the potential to resolve various net, like, natural mysteries i suppose is kind of the thing they're basically meant to be like the 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 answer to all of humanity's questions that's how kevin saw them however clue saw them as aberrations and so his whole thing when he saw that kevin was uh wanting to work more with the isos he mounted a coup and basically kind of pushed kevin out of the grid and then all, and then proceeded to get rid of the ISOs. He effectively committed genocide. Uh, and so because he saw the ISOs as a threat to what well, Clue saw the ISOs as a threat to his uh, core programming in creating a perfect world in that he is the one who has to do it. Right. Because that's that's why Kevin created him. That's why Kevin wrote that wrote him as a program was to create the perfect world kind of thing and so clue was having an issue with that anyway we get all this from a big exposition dump like at like the end of the first act of the film uh after sam gets into the the actual world uh so what i'm going to do is i'm going to give you a recap of the film now uh because uh i just i i should probably do that uh, so we start off, of course, with uh, 
Kevin kind of telling the story of the grid or of what was uh, pre-grid to his son, uh, to his son, Sam. And he tells him, yeah, like, I, and I discovered a miracle. Like, there's something that's really, really big that's going to change the world. And he leaves one night. And then, unfortunately, he never comes back. So he disappears. Uh, the reason he disappeared was because the night that he went back, when he went to the office, he went into the grid. And that was the night that Clue mounted the coup. It's, I know, it rhymes. That Clue mounted the coup and basically forced Kevin to flee and he couldn't get back to the portal in time to get back to the real world. And so the portal shut because it's only open for eight hours, like our time. Uh, and then, so Kevin was effectively stuck inside the grid. So that's why he couldn't come home. But we don't find that out until later. Anyway, and so now there's this big report that Kevin Flynn has vanished uh, and now Sam's an orphan. And so Sam's all bummed about it. And so... 20 years later, he kind of grows up now, and he's a primary shareholder in the company, and the company is pushing its, is trying to do its best to raise its stocks, to make money again. It's so far succeeding, and it's about to release a new operating system. Uh, think of it as like if Apple today was doing a big uh, announcement of a new OS system, but they were going to put it behind a paywall, even though their whole mission from the from when Kevin started the or when he got control of the company, uh, their whole mission was basically free, you know, free operating system, free tech was more or less free technology, or at the very least, act free access to the technology as a way to better the world, kind of thing. Now. After Kevin's disappearance, the board of directors sought to try and make more profit. And so with this new operating system, they were just basically going to uh, release it, but they were going to have people pay for it. So it was kind of going away from what the original, uh, I guess, goal of Encom was. And so Sam breaks into Encom and he secretly releases the operating system uh, on his own. Uh, effectively nullifying everything that Encom was trying to do. And so he's tr he's kind of trying to be like a pseudo Robin Hood kind of guy, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, he gets arrested because he broke in. He gets arrested, he gets released, and then he goes home and, he's, and he sees his, old, his dad's old friend, Alan Bradley. Now, Alan Bradley, of course, was a character in the original one, and uh, so he comes back because, he's, of course, he's still with Encom. Uh, and he's played actually by the same guy, by uh, Bruce Box Boxleitner, Bruce Boxleitner, uh, who played Alan Bradley in the original, and who played Tron in the original, plays Alan Bradley in this one as well. So uh, they brought him back, and of course they brought Jeff Bridges back from the original as well, because why? Because why the fuck not? Uh, and so Alan tells Sam that he received a page from his father. Now, of course, his father's been missing for 20 years. And so Sam's like, what the fuck? And so and uh, Alan's like, here, here are the keys to the old arcade. You go find out for yourself. So he does. So Sam goes to the arcade. He turns it on. He's taking a look around. He doesn't really see, he doesn't see his dad. Obviously, he doesn't see anything really except for a bunch of arcade games. But then he notices that there's the old or there's now the Tron uh, game. Because after... Sam, or sorry, after Kevin took over Encom at the end of the first movie, he introduced a bunch of new games and stuff like that. And so one of the arcade games was Tron. That was that's now in Flynn's arcade. And then he no and then Sam notices that this uh this arcade box is sitting on top of like a moving mechanism. And so he finds a, a secret door behind it, behind the Tron game. He goes into it, he finds an old computer system, and then he accidentally zaps himself into the grid. Of course, he doesn't know what happened, but he finds himself inside the grid. So after that, he gets he walks out and he finds himself in the new grid. So this is where we first get our look. Now, if in comparison to from the original to this one, it is like night and day. 
everything is beautiful, everything is digital, everything is so beautifully graphically done, the lights, the the sounds, again, the music, it's all a whole different world, and it is stunning, stunning. All of the old shit that came from the first one, like the, the that weird, like, like stapler shaped moving flying thing is in this the tanks the light cycles all of it and it is so much better looking it is incredible it is so beautiful anyway so he gets caught (laughs) and he gets uh chosen for the games uh and so when he arrives at the games he's very confused he ends up in a disc battle game in which, of course, using the discs, they have to, like, throw the discs at each other and that kind of thing. We saw it in the original as well. Anyway, he he tries to escape. He ends up in a fight with this random, very, very good fighter who is... We, we can kind of see that he's a bit familiar, question mark? Of course, Sam has no idea who he is. Sam gets brought to Clue uh, because Clue, again, is kind of overseeing everything. He's like the new head guy. He's the one running the whole thing because Kevin isn't. Uh, And so Sam first, of course, thinks that that Clue is his father because he looked exactly like him from the day that he left, as if he had never aged. But, of course, it's not. And so Clue kind of sends him away and tells him to – or kind of sends – Sam to go and participate in the games again because he kind of wants to get rid of him or because he knows that with Sam there, maybe there's a way that he can get to Kevin. So he puts him in the light cycle game and during the light cycle game, he ends up escaping because someone comes and helps him. Uh, Some mysterious figure arrives in some brand new, like, uh, dual seater light cycle thing um i can't remember what it's called uh it's um there's a name for it it's not a light cycle it's like a light cart or something like that uh it's called a light runner sorry uh i just found it uh so in this four-wheeled light cycle upgrade called the light runner and so this person this mysterious person rescues sam and they head off, and they head off uh, into like the the wilderlands, like uh, this like craggy, rocky, mountainous area that's kind of outside of the main city, main city grid. And uh, this person we discover is a character who is played by Olivia Wilde, named Cora. Uh, and Cora drives Sam and herself back to. Uh, their home where we find out Kevin has been living literally off the grid. And I'm just kind of now realizing that phrasing and that, that unintentional pun, unintentional. It must've been intentional. Like Kevin Flynn built the grid and now he's literally living off of the grid. It's very funny. Anyway. So there's a big happy reunion. It's all very sweet. Um, And then Sam kind of realizes that his dad's kind of changed Sam wants to take his dad back home, but his dad's like, I can't. If I go there, then Clue will find me. And if he gets my data disc, or yeah, if he gets my disc, he'll be able to go into the real world and change everything. And I can't have that happen because he wants to effectively change the world and destroy the world kind of thing. He wants to like recreate it, but in a negative sense. And so they talk and, of course... Uh, Sam is like, but what, like, mentions the page, and Kevin's like, I didn't send the page. That was Clue pulling you here because now you are a piece in this chess match that he is playing against me, effectively. The best thing I can do is just not do anything. And so Sam's like, well, fuck that. I'm going to do something about it. So Cora basically tells Sam, go to the city, go to the sector, go find this person named Zeus. And so he does. So he goes, and then he goes to this this kind of nightclub-esque place uh, that is run by this character uh, that we later find out is actually Zeus, but he's, he just goes by the name of Caster. He's, he's a very flamboyant uh, program who runs the end-of-line club, uh, which is very funny. 
Um, and it is played by Michael Sheen, who does an amazing job. Uh, it's funny because Sheen describes his performance as being inspired by like David Bowie, Joel Gray from Cabaret with a little bit of Frankenfurter. He's very eccentric and flamboyant. It's very fun. He's a very fun character. But he pulls Sam aside and uh, Sam's like, I need to find Zeus. And uh, and uh, Castor's like, well, you found him, you know, in, in that very like, well, uh, you've already found him kind of thing, right? Like th- this trope has been done many times before. Uh, and so Ka- and so Castor or Zeus is basically like, yes, I'll help you get to the portal. It's closing soon. Here's how we can do it. And then we find out, oops, surprise, he's actually been working for Clue the whole time. There's an ambush. There's a fight. Uh, Cora shows up to try and protect him. And she gets her arm chopped off, which is crazy. The thing that I really liked about this is that, like, so the design of when these programs get derezzed is they kind of burst into pixels into like they burst into pixels and then those pixels burst into pixels so it's very it's so cool it's so interesting how they were like that level of detail they were like yeah these programs will blow up into pix they'll be pixelated effectively it's very very cool anyway so Cora's fighting she loses an arm we all we think everything's gonna be everything's a bad time and then in comes Kevin Flynn because Kevin decided, you know what? I have my son. I don't want to lose my son again. I'm going to help him escape kind of thing. So he shows up at the club and he like does this whole thing where he's like cool and hooded. And he like, he put, puts his, puts his hands on the ground and like just shuts everything off. It's really cool. Oh, by the way, Daft Punk make a cameo because they are the DJs in the club that are making the music for the club. It's very cool. Um, so yeah, so Kevin shows up. He does his whole cool God thing. And then like, it's wild because like, there's this sense of reverence to him because of course everyone knows who he is. Everyone knows he's literally the maker of the grid. Like Zeus even at, at one point says, uh, uh, mentions him. He's like, he's like, say hello to our maker or something like that, or welcome to the maker or something like that. But it's very, very interesting. Uh, and so they all escape, uh, basically. However, one of the uh, bad programs who's working for Clue ends up snatching Kevin's data disk because that's the key to get, that's the master key to the entire thing, right? The entire program, the entirety of the grid. That's what can get them out. And so now there's like, oh shit, he has the key, right? So they're escaping uh, and they end up, escaping onto one of those like solar sail type things that we saw in the last film it is very cool it's like a big transport thing uh and then kevin basically uh shows sam that he's like reprogramming cora's whole like code and making it so that he's he regrows her arm basically but we find out that cora is actually the last remaining iso so she's an ISO the whole time. He's been, Kevin's been protecting her the whole time and everything. And so now it becomes like, okay, well, what are we going to do? Well, th- the mission hasn't changed. We're all going to escape. That's the, whole, that's the whole thing, right? So we find out that this sail, solar sail transport thing is going into like this main hangar. And then we find out that Clue who doesn't have the ability to create new programs, he can only redesignate them effectively. And so he has been working on taking people who are, you know, probably like resistance people or, you know, quote unquote criminals, uh, anybody who goes against him and he's been rectifying them and basically reprogramming them in order to be his army. And it's at this point that, that Kevin kind of sees, uh, clues main bat like his main his right hand man effectively his right hand enforcer he sees him in action fighting against Korra and then he realizes that it's actually Tron Tron has actually been reprogrammed by clue to work for him now when he says when he's like Tron you're alive at this point we've already pretty much deduced that it is Tron Mainly because on his chest piece, you can see the pixelated T, letter T. 
that he had in the original as well. So it's like it's not really that big of a surprise for us as an audience, but it's a surprise for him as the character, right? Anyway, and so Tron or uh, Rinsler, as his uh, name was, like uh, his bad guy name, uh, was named after author and Lucasfilm executive editor J.W. Rinsler, uh, takes Korra, takes her to uh, Clue, and then exposes her as the last ISO. And so her life is more or less still in danger. But Clue is too preoccupied with kind of doing his big, you know, um, I am your leader, I will never betray you kind of talk. He's, you know, effectively monologuing. While uh, Kevin and Sam concoct a plan to escape. So basically, Sam is going to run up to, like, the main bridge of this giant transport ship and get the key back while Kevin goes and... Uh, finds new transport so that they can escape. There's a very funny sequence where uh, Kevin walks up to a guard, reprograms him because of the data, because the data disk is on the back, right? And all of the program's data, all of it is in that disk. And so Kevin basically reprograms this program right there on the fly. And the program, it doesn't seem like it, doesn't seem like it works, right? Because so, the program's like, who are you? And wh- what do you want kind of thing? And then Kevin just like, bonks him on the head and then click 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 everything like the reprogramming takes and so i just think it's very funny because (laughs) is you know how sometimes like when you're when you're trying to work with like a computer or whatever or like a tv and it's just not working and sometimes you give it a smack and it's like okay there we go now it's working kind of thing you know what i mean it's just very funny i just thought it was a very funny thing uh anyway so kevin finds uh finds the transport now sam is up on the bridge and He's met with uh, some bad guys, of course. He fights his way through. He ends up grabbing the, the data disc. He ends up fighting Tron or Rinsler, who has Korra. He kind of knocks him off the bridge. Sam knocks Rinsler off the bridge, takes Korra, takes a weird kind of parachute type thing, jumps off, and then they glide safely to the hangar where they all jump into this uh, really cool like light plane. I think is what it's called. I don't even really know what it's called. I forget what it's called. Um, but basically into this light jet is what it is. And uh, they fly away. Clue arrives, sees that the disc is gone. So he and like four other cronies, including Rinsler, all fly off to try and find them. Now there's a really cool kind of like aerial fight. The light jet produces the the light the hard light ribbons that the light cycles make. So there's a bit of that going on. Sam's in a gunner seat. He's using the turret. There's some action. Boom, boom, boom. People, like bad guys are getting derezzed and all this other shit. And then Rinsler, somehow, his previous programming is starting to come back. And he's starting to kind of remember who he is. And then Clue sees this and basically like knocks him out of the thing. Uh, or no, sorry. Rinsler flies off. Uh, Clue tries to shoot them down, almost gets away with it, but then but then Tron comes back and like crashes into Clue's jet. Um, while they were falling, Clue grabs Tron, grabs a new like uh, stick thing that you can like pull open, and it creates the uh, it creates the ship. This is a very cool thing that I think they did is that like with both the light cycle and the light jets, they're basically contained within these rods that are like maybe two feet long. And the idea is that you split it open and then those become the handles and then the whole machine forms itself around you. So like the light cycle would form itself uh, underneath you. Uh, because the light cycles are newly designed. They're not the same as the old ones. Like, they don't have the full cover thing. Uh, these ones look a lot more like standard motorcycles. And uh, with the light jets, these ones form all around you. Like, it's so cool watching them kind of f- build and form. It's almost as if you're looking at, like, an engineer's schematic literally appearing in front of your eyes. It's so very, very cool how it kind of forms and happens. Anyway, so Clue... Is in, the, his, is in his light jet. He flies off. 
Tron, we see land in the water. His red lights turn back to blue. We assume he is now dead. Anyway. Uh, so Sam, Cora, and Kevin land on the platform where the portal is. They think everything's fine. But then when they get up the stairs, they find Clue is there. How he got there before they did, I do not know. He was behind them. They had a head start. He would have had to like go faster than them. But anyway, it's fine. It's drama. It's for dramatic effect. I'll get over it. But anyway. <laughs> uh, so a small fight happens. Um, Clue... His or Kevin basically tries to pull Clue's entire focus on him so that Sam and Cora can escape. Clue still thinks that Kevin now has his own key. Turns out he doesn't. Turns out he had Cora's. Cora is actually has Kevin's key. So while they're while they're escaping, Kevin uh, decides to reintegrate with Clue, but of course in doing so. He create he effectively kills himself because he sacrificed himself in order to do it, uh, and it creates this massive explosion, kind of destroys things within this large area. The whole grid isn't destroyed; it's just like this area where the portal is. So the portal, uh, it's unsure if the portal itself gets destroyed, but at the very least, the platform where the portal is attached gets destroyed. Anyway, so Sam and Cora escape into the real world, and we find Sam there speaking to Alan, kind of. Tells him that everything is fine, everything's good. And then we see Sam ride off into the sunset with Korra. So now Korra's in the real world. She has the secrets to help humanity. Sam has decided to take to uh, take ownership of the company. He is now going to be a main part of it. He's asking, uh, he basically promoted Alan to being like head chairman of the company. Uh, and so it's a big happy ending. Yay, everyone's happy. Everyone's excited. And then as they're riding off this, now... I love it because while they're riding away on Sam's bike on his Ducati, uh, it is so obvious that they're riding on Lion- the Lionsgate Bridge um, here in Vancouver because the, fi- the film was filmed here in Vancouver. We have a bridge called the Lionsgate Bridge, which is a major bridge that connects the downtown core with a municipality across the water called North Vancouver. And it is very, very obvious. Uh, but it's really nice watching them go across that bridge then with like, pans across to north vancouver to downtown vancouver to some other areas it's just very very nice and i was just like that's my city i live there that's very cool so that was just a fun little thing for me anyway so yeah that's the movie it's a great great fucking movie uh some production notes here that i found out uh so the reason this movie even got a sequel is because of the cult following that it got that the original got so, like, in 2005, the producers were like, hey, Tron's popular. Let's make a sequel kind of thing, right? Uh, and that plus, uh, there was, like, uh, a 2000 release, or, or 2003 uh, FPS that was released called Tron 2.0. So, like, that apparently was kind of okay. Apparently, there was speculation of Pixar doing a sequel in 1999. That would have been interesting. Uh like I said, it was filmed in Vancouver over 67 days, which is, I mean, a little over two months. Yeah, that sounds about right. Daft Punk are responsible for the, uh, what's it called, the score and the music of this movie. And like I said at the top, it works. It works so well with the aesthetic, with the setting and everything. I think it helps the fact that Daft Punk themselves are were big fans of the original Tron. And so getting this opportunity to be part of the sequel, I think, was just very good for them. Or they probably they most likely like super appreciated it. And so that's why they tried really hard to make it to make the soundtrack as good as it could have been. Uh, the budget of this movie was one hundred and seventy million dollars and the box office was four hundred point one million dollars. Needless to say, this film was a success. <laughs> uh, the writers went to say to went on to say that Flynn, the character of Kevin Flynn in this film is kind of an amalgamation of Steve Jobs and Bill Gates on the like technology side and in terms of that, but then also with a mix of John Lennon uh, in, I guess, some of the philosophies that he had, uh, because there's a lot of 
allusion to like Zen Buddhism uh, in this film uh, and with his whole like not uh, not putting on an offensive in order to be offensive like uh, hit because his lack of doing anything weakens Clue because anytime he tried to fight back which he did it would just aggravate Clue and make Clue stronger so he was like his pacifism was his was his offensive attack kind of thing uh, and then of course the concept of doing things for the betterment of mankind and for the betterment of the world, right? Like John Lennon had always wanted to do better by people. Uh, they also went on to say that clue is representative of this idea of you looking back on your former self. Uh, because when Kevin like reconnects with clue, like at the end of the movie, clue was like, I did everything you wanted. I did what you had wanted me to do. And Kevin's like, you're right. You did. But the reason this is a problem is because I was the problem in the beginning. I was wrong. What I wanted wasn't exactly what wasn't wasn't truly what I wanted, and I didn't realize that until now. And so, because Clue was created at the beginning of that of his, of that ideal of that ideal within wanting to create the perfect world, then Clue was kind of stuck in that because as a program, once he's programmed that way, he he can't change. He just can't. He's not an AI, if that makes sense, right? He can't grow the way that the way that um, the master computer did in the previous film, if that makes sense. And so Kev- and so Kevin's character saw Clue as like this failed version of himself because he'd grown past that point because he's been being human and we grow, right? So it's very interesting to kind of see that. Like, what would you do if you looked at, if you looked at a version of yourself that was 20 years in the past kind of thing, right? Uh, how would your ideals have changed? Uh definitely leans much heavier into the religious allegory of this movie. And I touched on that before. Like it's, it's so clear that Kevin Flynn is God and Sam Flynn is Jesus. Like the, the allegories are there. The parallels are there. You can't escape them, but I think they do them in such a way that it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't shove the religion down your throat. If that makes sense. It's just more a happenstance of the situation, right? Because if you have somebody who's in this world that they effectively create, of course they're going to be referred to as the maker. Of course they are effectively God, right? And as a user, he's able to do things that most programs can't. He can access program coding. He can do things, right? And so, yeah, it makes sense that he would be referred to as maker or that he would be like a godlike figure. And Sam being the son of Flynn is, of course, you know, it's there, right? And so, uh, and actually, um, the character of Korra, is more or less supposed to be uh, kind of a reference to Joan of Arc uh, in that, like, she has, she's got footholds in both worlds. Like, she's, uh, she's still part of the system, but because she has uh, the connection with Kevin Flynn, she also has the connection to the outside world, so she has a connection to, like, quote-unquote, to heaven and to the afterlife kind of thing. So, yeah, so it's very interesting. Um now they were the in here it says since she epitomizes the concept of androgyny producers convinced Cora or conceived Cora from an androgynous perspective notably giving her a short haircut and part of me is like a short haircut doesn't exactly make somebody androgynous however I do kind of appreciate their uh, their desire to want to go that route but I do think she still I think she still leans too femme in order to be androgynous. Now I'm sure that's probably like a producer's note in that like keep, keep in mind this is in the late 2010s, right? This isn't exactly a time when when that kind of strong androgyny uh is much of a thing if that makes sense right like that concept of androgyny or even queerness obviously wasn't much of a thing at the time but i still appreciate the the desire to to lean in that direction but the producers were probably like no she needs to she needs to be a girl she needs to look she needs to look more femme right um so yeah uh producers did speak with some scientists for this film uh, in order to kind of get things right, uh, they spoke, well, I say right. <laughs> How can you get things, like, it, it's a made-up digital world. How can you get it wrong? But they spoke with a scientist from California Institute of Technology and the Jet Propulsion Laboratory to discuss isomorphic algorithms and digitizing organic matter. Uh, and I think that matters because 
in the in like the first act of the film when Sam is in the in the Discourse game, he gets cut by Rinsler slash Tron and he bleeds. And so of course the question is like because like in watching this movie and in watching the original Tron, my question becomes as a user, how in like how in how much danger am I actually in? If that makes sense. Like do I run the risk of being fully derezzed or is my body still more or less like physical? Is it digital? Like what is it? Right. And so it's a very interesting question to pose. And I think they did an interesting job of kind of tackling that question with him being cut and bleeding. So there was a very cool uh, thing that they did in 2008 at San Diego Comic-Con, they released a piece of test footage that I think is very cool that uh, I was able to find as well. And I'm going to link that in the description so that people can take a look at it, so that people can take a look at it too, because it's very, very cool. But with it being from 2008, it does look very close to how, uh, or at least you can see this the skeletons, the bones of the uh, of the remake movie, or, or of Tron Legacy. It basically shows... Two programs in the uh, uh, doing the light cycle game, and uh, one obviously one wins, one loses. I'm not gonna spoil the whole thing. I think you should take a look at it. It's very very cool. Now this film was shot almost entirely in 3D, especially for the parts in the grid, uh, because this is during a time when things in 3D were kind of a big thing. You know, like Disney 3D, IMAX 3D, blah blah blah. However, because like. On Disney Plus, like obviously, it's not in 3D, and I still think it works very, like, very well. Like visually, it's still good. It's not weirdly jarring. You can't really tell that it was filmed in 3D. Things just still look really, really good. So I don't think the 3D filming ruined anything in any way, if that makes sense. Because sometimes when something is filmed in 3D, but you don't watch it in 3D, you can tell that it was filmed in 3D. But in this case, absolutely not. It look it's really really well done i do believe that they actually worked with some of the people from uh what's it called um oh uh with james uh the people who worked with james cameron's avatar uh like the dual 3d camera using paste fusion rigs uh which is kind of the same thing that james cameron used when he filmed the original avatar so that's probably why it also looks very good because it was done with really really good quality cameras now Live portions uh, of this film were recorded for big audience sequences from San Diego Comic-Con 2010. And what I mean by that is specifically the moments in the games. So when Sam is in the games, he's basically brought to like an auditorium, to like a great big arena. And there's like hundreds of thousands of other programs all watching. And they're it's, it's like they're watching it's – it's like they're watching the gladiatorial games, right? And what they did was they – I think at like one of the panels at Comic-Con in 2010, they filmed people and they recorded their sounds. So uh, I believe it was Skywalker Sound that did it. So they recorded people chanting, they recorded foot stompings and clapping and everything. And they, imp- and they integrated those sounds into the movie, which I think is a fascinating idea and a very, very cool very very cool way for fans to be integrated into the film as well so all in all it was great final thoughts on this movie this movie is banging this movie is a freaking great movie i give it like eight out of ten this is a solid solid movie it is beautiful it is uh the sound is incredible the acting is great the one thing i will the one issue i have is with clue and how he looks it's it's pretty uncanny valley uh, but that's just a fault of just the technology. Right now, if we were to do like deep fake technology, he would it would be so much better looking. I mean, like if you've seen uh, the Mandalorian or even the Book of Boba Fett uh, with what they did with Luke Skywalker, it looks so much better now. Like, it, yeah. So it was definitely just a fault uh, or an issue with the technology at the time. So I don't blame it for that. You know, it's not perfect, but it's still good. And kind of once you get over that, once you get over the way that Clue looks then you can uh, appreciate it. You can kind of get over it. But yeah, 
it's great. It's a great, great fucking movie. And oh, of course, it has rides. I almost forgot about the rides. So there was a uh, so way, way back, uh, like in during the 2010, 2011 season as a way to advertise for it, for Tron Legacy uh, to promote it. Uh, the Epcot monorail line uh, had these special trains that were uh, inspired by it called the Toronto Rail. So it's it's basically just the monorail just skinned differently, but it, it ran for a while. And it's it's really, really cool. It's very pretty. I'm going to link uh, videos of this, of course, as well. And then, of course, we have the Tron Coaster, which is de- which is down in, in uh, Shanghai Disney. Uh, it's a full ride kind of based on the light cycle ride. This light cycle ride is also coming to Disney World, to Magic Kingdom. Um. Uh, no idea when they it was slated to be to open for the 50th anniversary of Disney of Magic Kingdom uh, 2021. However, because of the because of the pandemic, things were shifted. And so it's probably like they're very apprehensive with giving a final date. But I'm guessing it's probably not going to be released until probably 2023. Uh, They're moving into testing. So that's good to know. Uh, so probably summer 2023 is when I'm guesstimating, but of course this is just complete ballpark guessing. Anyway, I will link a video to the update from Imagine- Disney Imagineering for the for Tron Light Cycle uh, for Magic Kingdom, and I'll also uh, put a link to the ride through that is in Shanghai Disney in the uh, description. So, I hope you will enjoy that. Uh, yeah. Tron Legacy. Real good. Better than I thought it was going to be, honestly. Better than I remember it. It's very good. Like, I, I was sitting there, I was watching, I was like, this movie is fucking beautiful. So, what's happening next week? I honestly don't remember. <laughs> I know it was supposed to be something, but I can't remember what it was. It's I guess it's just going to have to be a surprise. I know we're going to tackle Honey, I Shrunk the Kids at some point, but I think that's not until the end of the month. So I'm just trying to remember what movie it was in between. I'll figure it out. Uh, I'll release something. Uh, follow on Twitter at cast underscore Diz. Uh, follow on Facebook, facebook.com slash Dizcast for updates and things. But once I figure it out, I'll post it, and then that'll be fine. Okay, cool. So, yeah, I'll, I'll see you all next time, I guess. Uh, I hope you all enjoy your weekend and your week. Uh, eat your food, drink your water, take your meds. Make sure you take care of yourselves. Get some air, get some sunshine. That vitamin D is good for you. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, do some exercise. Get moving. Do stuff. Yeah. Or play some video games if you want. If that makes you happy, sure. Why the hell not? Anyway, I'll chat with you all next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>